Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the United States. And I have a pretty cool guest for you today that I'm super excited about talking with and kind of exposing her work to you as our Back to Jerusalem audience. Um, I came across her from a Ding Dash post. For those of you that are not familiar with Ding Dash, we are a platform that was started by Back to Jerusalem that provides free speech to Christians around the world, especially now that's pretty important when we're seeing so much monitoring and 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 Christians being kicked off of traditional social media platforms. We don't do that at Ding Dash because we're not a company. We don't try to <clears throat> raise money and we, we, uh, we focus on security and freedom. So anyway, uh, I... Love what I've read so far from our next guest. Uh, her name is Krista. Krista, are you there? Yes. Great. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. Thank you. We are uh, super excited. I, I mean, we bring on guests every now and then that write Christian books. And for the most part, most of the Christian books or authors of books that I interview, most of them are either history or something that's taking place socially, not a lot of fictional writers. And I think that has to do with, you know, my reading agenda, like everything that I read. I don't read, I never read fiction. I'm always reading history and biographies and that's what interests me. I'm glued to those kind of writings. And it's not all religious. I mean, even though I'm a Christian and, and a theologian at heart, I'm also a historian. And I think that history, you know, is is captured in so many different volumes. And so I, I, I have a wide array of different books that I like to read. But your post uh, or posts, as it were, um, piqued my interest. And I saw this, uh, I think it was a... Uh, a, a front page of one of your books of it looked like a young lady laying on the ground, bloody and dead. I was like, okay, okay that's different. Yes. That's different. <laughs> and then I looked at it and I saw that, you know, you were doing like a reading on Ding Dash. Uh, I think it, you, you posted it over from YouTube, but you posted it on Ding Dash. So I saw it on Ding Dash and you, this reading and I realized, huh, she's writing amazing books that are fictional because I'm a big movie buff, right? So even though I don't read fiction, I'm involved in fiction every day watching, you know, my favorite movies. And so you started saying, you started talking in a way that I was like, wow, I almost hear a movie in this and you piqued my interest. And uh, before we jump more into that and your amazing books, could you just introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Yes. So my name is Krista Wagner and I have been writing stories, uh, short stories, since I was a little kid, and um, about 2013, I was on a road trip with my family when I came up with the idea for my first published novel, and it was actually a screenplay at first that I was completing for my MFA in creative writing, 
And by the end of that road trip, I also had a novel um, written for that. And I started pitching it to agents and querying um, publishers. By the next year, it was published. So my first published novel came out in 2014. Um, I've always been drawn to um, the mysteries and the truth and of life. And um, my books, although they are Christian, they appeal to a wide audience. Um, my, my dream and my goal is to send these Christian messages through suspense mystery lenses to, um, again, reach a very broad audience. Um, so they don't come off as preachy per se, um, but they definitely have elements of the Bible. There's Bible verses um, throughout um, here and there, and definitely the theme of faith um, or renewal of faith in spite of hardships, in spite of uh, what could be the worst possible um, betrayals. Um, God's light, God's hope is always through my main character. Um, victory always wins over evil. Yeah, and you said that you were on a road trip with your family when you got this idea. How did that happen? Was it like a, an audible voice that came down and was like, Krista, or, or was it like this just, you know, uh, idea, that bulb that kind of just flashed? And, and can you tell us about that? Yes, um, definitely the Holy Spirit was there for me. Uh, these characters were not anything that I, not anybody, I should say, that I ever had known before um, or that I had thought to, to create before. And so when I was in the midst of, there was one month that students had to complete a full-length screenplay, and that is something I had never done in my life, very different type of writing than novel writing. So in that month, it was definitely the Holy Spirit that was reaching to me with these characters um, and the whole storyline. And so, um, honestly, with all of my books, it has been this way, um, where they come to me, and um, it's not so much that there's an audible voice, but he definitely moves me to write these characters and to convey his messages through, again, primarily a young adult mystery suspense lens, but I also have um, uh, one adult psychological thriller and then a um, middle-grade fantasy uh, two-book series. Um, but, yes, yeah, so definitely he is there. That he inspires me. He breathes, he breathes through my words, I guess you could say. Um, and so that's what makes me know for certain that I am on the right track um, in terms of how I'm conveying his message and how I am also, through entertainment, reaching an audience. When we when we talk about your books, um, what can can you explain them a little bit? Because I've I've seen them, you know, explained as psychological mystery suspense novels. That um, you have a series that's called the Small Town Secret series, and they have almost this aura about them. When I'm looking at the design on the cover, that kind of reminds me, I, you know the only authors that I can think of of, of like a suspense are, are like those like John Grisham or, or Lee Childs or, or something like that. Um, would, how, how would these be similar? How would they be different? Um, so my small town secret series is the one big difference is that is the type of audience that it's geared toward in terms of themes and that's young adult. But if you do your research, 
most people that read young adult suspense or mysteries are actually adults, including myself. Um, but that is the one big difference between authors, like you mentioned, like John Grisham. Dean Koontz is another one that I really admire. But again, his books are also geared toward more adult themes. Um, and so that's the biggest difference, I would say. Um, but also, again, um, even though my books are not preachy, uh, quote preachy, they do have the themes that resonate throughout so that the readers do come away. Um, in the Small Town Secret series, the tying themes there are um, where the protagonists are dealing with major deceptions and they're being deceived or betrayed by somebody that they trust, somebody that they love. And um, some, uh, most of these books, um, I think with the exception of book four, there's actually murder in there too. So that is one of the themes that, or one of the concepts that is shared with some of the other big names out there. Um, but the biggest thing being, again, is that um, in spite of the darkness that these main characters are facing, um, including uh, a test of faith too, because all these uh, protagonists that I write are Christians. Um, and so some of these darkest betrayals that they experience really does test their faith, but they always come back stronger in their belief in Christ. And so that is um, a huge thing um, that I make sure is in all of my novels. And it's the hope that I want to provide for anybody that has been through anything terribly traumatic or terribly... Um, or if their life has actually been in danger and that sort of thing that they don't have to fall into this darkness, that there's always a light there and that God is always right there. Um, so waiting for them. And um, so that, so that's the, the unifying theme between the five books. The first three books are actually directly connected with the same main character and it deals with her in high school. And then a few years after high school um, and the same characters are present in those three books, the main characters. Um, so you see this really interesting um, storyline that spans over a few several years and how it all ties together. And then the book four deals with, book four has a bit more of a realistic edge to it in that it deals with um, bullying, severe bullying. Um, it deals with the secrets of sin and what happens to you when you hold on to those secrets and how they can tear you apart. Um, and then the last book in a coma, which is the one that you mentioned with the character lying on the ground um, right outside that water tower in the snow, that one deals, that one's very unique in that it deals with a girl who actually is in a coma for 90 5% of the book. So how do you tell a story like that? And that one was really challenging. I did a lot of research for that, but uh, primarily through flashbacks and dreams and then an out-of-body experience, um, not an out-of-body experience that is pushed by anybody. It's just something that naturally happens to her. And part of that, she's able to follow the detective around as he's invested doing his investigation. Um, so there's a lot of interesting aspects of that one in terms of perspective. And, um, but again, um, they all take place in the small town. They all deal with major betrayals. Um, and, and again, by people that they do trust and they would never suspect. 
and they always come out stronger in their faith. So those are the three major tying themes across those five books in the Small Town Secret series. There's a, there's a lot of questions that, that I would love to ask, but one of the things that I think kind of made me gravitate towards doing this podcast together with you is you put up a photo on DingDash about, uh, uh, that showed your bookshelf. Um, and I just I found that interesting uh, just because so many Christians have this inner desire to take photos that show the holy side of their life. And I'm not saying that you were, you know, not doing that, but I, I saw several secular novels, you know, on your shelf. I'm like, okay, great. This looks like a more honest person. Um, <laughs> and and uh, like, you know, Dean Coons, for instance. Um, and I and I uh, you you mentioned that as a as a person that you like to you like to read. And I'm I'm sitting here and I'm looking at. Um, you know, a lot of the, the stories that people love to read, and it's usually just this great, meaty, suspenseful novel. And one of the challenges I think that we are moving into as a society is that, and I'm seeing it on Netflix, I'm seeing it on Amazon Prime, that so many documentaries and series and movies have to come out with an agenda first and then they tried to build a story around that agenda instead of just having a stinking good story that people love regardless. And I'm looking at, you know, the, the first couple of, of pages for what you've written. And, I'm, and I don't see an agenda driven novel, but one that looks like it is, you know, coming from a, a great place from, you know, and an, your imagination. Like this is, I'm, I'm assuming it's imaginary, right? I mean, are, are you drawing on real experiences when you're writing these stories? I mean, do these relate to you in, in, in a special way? Um, the Small Town Secret series, um, those are all fictional. Um, but the, the theme of betrayal is something that has happened to me on a very big level in a few different times in my life. I actually have a, um, like a special author's note in there. In, um, in a coma has, um, that's the one where I did a lot of research. I didn't want to get anything wrong with, you know, what it's really like to be in a coma, what's possible in a coma, those kinds of things. Um, so at the end, I actually have a lot of information about that, but I do include a little note um, about how I personally was betrayed too. And I actually include um, a psalm in there as well that's written by David where he talks about his betrayal and it just um, as a way of encouragement too, that we're not alone um, and people will let you down. But as, but as far as all those five books, no, they are fictional. They are definitely fictional, but the ideas behind them, some of the things that these characters go through are relatable. Um, that's one of the reasons why they, um, my goal was to draw a broader audience was by putting in these themes that are relatable, like the theme of betrayal, for instance. Um, the only book, the, the exception, the only book that I have written that actually was partly based on something that I went through is my adult psychological thriller, and it's called Shrouded Memory, and it deals with um, an experience that my dad and I went through um, where we were held at gunpoint. And so it hits on the PTSD and the, the uh, aftermath of trauma but of course, uh, most of it, I would say about 30% of it is 
um, based on what I went through in terms of like therapy and dealing with um, the aftermath and that kind of stuff. But okay, most of it is driven can, can I just ask you what what sure. happened? All right, I mean, you just said you were held at gunpoint. That sounds sure. like what, yes. what happened. Um, yeah, um, this was in 2013. It was actually Black Friday, and I couldn't get a hold of my dad. He lived a mile away from us, and it, we were decorating for Christmas, and I thought, why can't I get a hold of him? It's so odd. And so I drove over there, and the lights were out, which isn't too strange for my dad. Where, so I where, went right where up are the door. you? Like what, what part of the country are you? Oh, California, Southern okay. California. Southern California, okay. Yeah. So um, I got out of the car. I started walking to the door and the door swung open and a masked face came out. My first thought was, oh, how funny, Halloween. <laughs> well, it's not Halloween anymore. It was Black Friday. And it only took me about one second after that to realize, oh, no, something's not right. But before I could get back in my car, um, they had a hold of me. There were four men. Um, and what had just happened about an hour before this was that one of them came to the door without a mask on and he asked my dad for help and my dad opened the door. They all pushed in, they tied him up. They were actually waiting for my wow. grandpa to come home. Was this just you and your dad? So nobody else was in the house, just you and your dad? No, my dad was alone. Your yeah. dad was alone. Just wow. my dad. And then, then when I came around, it was just the two of us for several hours. Was this, a, was this a home. bad neighborhood? Was this a bad area? Um, no, not necessarily. No, not really. There's not a neighborhood where they dealt with a lot of these kinds of issues. No. Wow. It's this is that, serious. Um, these, what's that? I said, wow, this, I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is serious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's one thing yeah, when you said, you know, crazy. we had a gun put in my face, that's one thing, but you're talking about being tied up and taken hostage. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm sorry. Then, so they tied up your father. Yeah. So, well, they, they knew where he lived because my grandpa and my dad worked together for at a, like a pawn shop uh, that my grandpa owned. And they knew they were following my grandpa for a while. So they knew where he went to eat. They knew where he lived. So they were actually waiting for my grandpa to come home. And I, I told them he's not going to be here for a while. And I was right because I know his schedule, you know. And so we had to wait. Um, we were in the bathroom for four hours. Let's see. Yeah, about four and a half hours, and they kept taking turns watching the front door, rotating. They all had guns that they trained on us the whole time. Um, it was a night that I honestly thought, my dad and I both thought we were going to die that night. And um, it was terrible. So my grandpa finally came home. They took him down to his place of business, and they robbed him of everything that he had. Wow. which was 60 years of jewelry and gold and silver and everything like that. So <clears throat> it was pretty, uh, very traumatic experience. And so my, when I went to counseling right after that, like three days later, I, I started counseling. I started EMDR therapy, which I had never heard of, but it was extremely helpful. Um, and so I took that experience and I included it in my book. Um, I actually had a couple of vets and non-vets tell me how much it really helped them because in spite of how terrible that was, I still knew that it had nothing to do with God or, um, you know, anything good and that God was still there to protect me. And so, um, he, you know, so I did, yes. Yeah. So that's, again, that's the only book where I actually shared something like that, but it was at 
the suggestion of my counselor and I thought, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but then I did it. And it was a tough, it was tough to write that because I was, you know, actually pooling on, um, actual moments that I would have, especially in the beginning where I was freaked out and I kept thinking I saw these guys everywhere, even though I didn't know what they looked like, you know, because they were all covered in masks. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, that's always been my goal. That one's probably a little more obvious, but always my goal is to give people hope um, because we all know that this world is a very, can be a very sick and dark place. And so we all need that hope and that reminder that God loves us. He wants us to be safe in his arms no matter what is happening in the world around us. Did you say that that book was Shrouded Memory? Yes, that's Shroud of Memory. So, so you, of memory. if you look at the cover, there's a shark. And I love sharks. I love the movie Jaws. That's, so um, that's the entertainment part of it, although it's it's a psychological thriller. And um, the shark is definitely plays a huge role in this, and it's tied into um, the bad guy. Um, well, I'll just leave it like that. So it's definitely a huge part of it, too. Um, but that that didn't happen to me. It had nothing to do with the shark, is you know the story I just told you, of course. But um, yeah. that's the fictional side. That's a big fictional side of it. <laughs> right, right. And do you? You said you live in Southern California. I mean, I, I was based in Southern California when I was in the when I was in the military. Um, are, are you in a mil- area where there there are quite? A, you said there were a number of veterans that came up to you and said, you know, thank you because this was very this was very helpful for PTSD. Yes, not too far. My husband was in the military um, years ago. We were based in San Diego. So um, we're not too far from San Diego. Okay, yeah. So I was at Camp Pendleton just north of San Diego. And and I worked out of San Diego, obviously, whenever we would do our, our uh, deployments to the Persian Gulf, because then we would just connect with the Naval Station there in San Diego. And uh, so even to this day, you know, I'm still considered to be a a resident of Southern California, even though I haven't lived in the U.S. for over 20 years. So uh, very interesting that that experience was able to be, you know, used for those that have experienced, you know, PTSD or or a a trauma. So that is, yeah, really amazing how you were able to use your experience in that situation and create a story about sharks. <laughs> so that because I mean that's kind of that's quite a leap, right? Like you have have you ever worked with with um, uh, marine uh, animals or or in a zoo or like what was what did you draw on for your experience? Because obviously the trauma side I get, but mm-hmm. did you do any sort of of research, you know, for the for sharks? Are you a big fan of I, Shark Week? <laughs> I, <laughs> I absolutely do. Um, I love, yes. But I, ha- I did have to do a lot of research because my degree is in English literature. has nothing to do with marine biology. But um, I did, I went to UMBC to get my bachelor's in English, and then I came out to California, and, and I got my master's and my MFA. But the, yes, the research for marine biology, I actually used my um, school, UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, they have a program there, and I dissected it as <laughs> I looked at it very closely to see, you know, what would they be doing, because um, there's so many different ways you can go with marine biology, and so I wanted to make the main character 
um, I wanted to really give her a challenge with that because she actually has a fear of sharks. So it's ironic that she ends up working with sharks. <laughs> um, and so, um, and then of course the irony being that she's attacked by a shark in the, in chapter one and there's nothing graphic in my novels. My gra- my novels, even though they, yes, they deal with some darkness, but they don't get graphic. Um, and so that's another thing I wanted to point out there. Because um, yeah, so you, you had started off by saying that um, many of your books are for young adults. So I'm assuming by that yes. term, young adults, it's those that would be considered to be underage as well, right? Like those that are under 18. Yes, yes, they are very clean. Um, there's no language. There's nothing, like I said, nothing graphic. And um, so like the Small Town Secret series, those are geared toward teenagers, Um and younger kids could certainly read them, but they probably just wouldn't appreciate them or understand them as much unless they're more precocious, I would say, because of some of the themes, you know, that are more mature um, and they haven't experienced betrayal probably yet in their lives. But they are clean. Um, so, and then, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I love that you're, you're, you are focusing towards an audience. I know that this seems completely unrelated, but in my mind, it kind of is. Um, I, one of the reasons I love to take my family on a regular basis to a place called uh, Pigeon Forge in Tennessee. It's a, there's this little place for those that are not Americans or most Americans that are from like, you know, you just talked about uh, uh, the East Coast and kind of the New England area. And then now you're living in Southern California. Most people in those two opposite ends of the country have never heard of Pigeon Forge. But most people in the Midwest and South have, and this is kind of like the Las Vegas of the South. And you go there, and one of the amazing things, I take my family there every year. I just fall, I fell in love with it because we've been to Vegas, um, but I can't take my kids to the comedy clubs. I can't take my kids to you know the magic shows. I can't take my kids to many of the different things that they offer on the Strip in Vegas. Uh, because it just would not be age appropriate. I mean, I could, but I'd be, you know, I, I, I wouldn't get the Father of the Year award. But when right. I go to Pigeon Forge, and I'm not talking about cheesy stuff, right? One of the things you get when you watch Christian movies sometimes or read Christian novels or go to Christian theme parks is there, I mean, let's be honest, there's a bit of a cheese factor there where it, okay, you almost got it. Like I was almost entertained, but I was more touched spiritually. And I almost had a, a certain charitable moment that I gave you an applause. Uh, but when you go to Pigeon Forge, you get this amazing entertainment environment with some of the best magic shows I've ever seen, some of the best comedy clubs I've ever been to. And they actually come out of Vegas and New York City and Los Angeles and because they just kind of get tired of that environment. And they've come to Pigeon Forge in this mountain uh, environment, which is just packed with family activities. And I can take my, now my, now both my boys are, um, you know, college but I, I, even at the college age, we can go to these magic shows and have a blast because they are really, really good, but they're clean. And so you don't, you're not dealing with language. You're not dealing with sexual innuendos. You're not dealing with some really horrific graphic language. Um, and you feel good about the entertainment because it's super funny. Your, your sides are hurting. And then the, the value of what you just seen, you know, the amazement of like the magic show or whatever, you walk away thinking, wow, that was good on so many different levels. And so I appreciate it when people like you 
write novels that are suspenseful and and they have a value to them that that people can really enjoy and and like you were talking about with the military people even benefit from and yet you maintain a certain uh, self-imposed guideline of making them making sure that they're they're they can be consumed by people of different age groups Yes, absolutely. I think it's really important. I agree with you about the cheese factor on a lot of the movies um, that are uh, Christian-based. Um, I know that there have been a, a, a few more in the last decade that are kind of breaking those doors down, but not enough, for sure, not enough. Um, uh, Christian music was something else that I was thinking, too, because that has really broadened in the last probably 20 years. Um, in terms of reaching so many more people with the varying genres there and just really digging even deeper. One of the bands, I don't know if you're familiar with, is Skillet, that I really like a lot. Um, and so they just, they have these amazing messages, but they have music that also is um, non-cheesy, I guess is the word. Um, so there's, but there's so many bands like that now, and I feel like the music world has done far more than the movie world for Christian films, but you do have a lot of Christian films that are not blatantly Christian. They're not labeled as Christian, but they they definitely um, reflect all those values, those biblical values too. So you have a lot of those as well, which is great. I um, a couple of years ago went to um, a seminar type setting for the weekend with Ted Bear, who was whose father was really big in the Hollywood in the 1930s. And um, one of the things over all these, you know, hundred years of movies, one of the things that they've always seen to be true is that the movies that don't have explicit um, material, like sexual innuendos, like you mentioned, and, and things of that nature, are the ones that actually do far better at the box office. So that really says something there, too, which is interesting. A lot of people don't realize that, um, but they do way better. Um, yeah, I so, mean, you, what you just said, I mean, yeah. I remember Skillet. Uh, I don't listen to them that much anymore. Now you it kind of just brought it back to my memory. I'll probably be listening to them <laughs> for the next couple of days. But I remember Skillet from when I was in high school um, in the 90s. I remember, you know, like Jars of Clay had just started to come out. DC Talk had just mm-hmm. started to come out. Now you're absolutely right. These guys were great. You know, I didn't come, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I, I became a Christian when I was 14 and I was almost ostracized in many ways. Like my parents felt like, why did you really become a Christian? No, really, really why? Like, was it a girl? Was it a girl? Was it a girl? Like, you know, there was no, <laughs> people couldn't believe that I had really come to Christ. And I made a massive transformation and one in which in the 90s, I don't know if you remember this or not, but, or I, I don't even know, you know, what your age is, but uh, in the 90s, there was this movement among Christians where you played records backwards and it was like, you know, there was all this devil music out there. And so I went through a phase where I destroyed all of my secular music when I was in my later teens um, because, you know, I did not, I wanted to just fill my my mind with, with God's word and his music and his entertainment. Um, there were a couple things that were kind of sacred cows for me that I wouldn't give up. You know, Rocky, Rambo, uh, Commando, those movies, I'm like, God, you know, forgive me. Uh, but <laughs> I have to keep these ones. But I started to, I, I made a commitment when I got my very first car. I bought it myself. You know, I came from uh, my family. 
I wouldn't say it was poor because you know I've lived in twenty for about twenty years in China, so I wouldn't say they're poor today. But it, it, compared to my neighborhood, we were considered to be a lower class, lower income family, and so um, I I had to buy my own car. But I remember making that commitment to God: God, if I can get this car, I promise you, I'll only play your music. And I kept that commitment throughout high school, and um, and so skillet, jars of clay, DZ talk, and I honestly didn't even think about missing anything because their music was so good. Their music was so, like I didn't feel like I was making a sacrifice to listen to that music, right? Like even today I would say I gravitate towards that music because it was so good. So it wasn't just that it was Christian, it was it it, it spoke to me on a different level, on a, on a human level, on a, on a musically, I don't wanna say entertained because I think maybe that word is too flippant, but there, there was a speaking to me on a musical level that brought me in, and and I enjoyed the rhythm, the beat, the 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 poetry, the 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 way that it was, you know, weaved together, and so um, I, I completely get what you're saying, and and that is that is awesome that your books are kind of in that stream, in that idea of these are good these these are good stories, even if you're not a Christian, which is one of the first things that you said when you came on the podcast. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's another thing, too, I wanted to share is the book world. A lot of indie authors out there now just saturating the market in the last decade or so in a very good way. Um, but in terms of uh, Christian fiction, Christian mysteries and suspense in that domain, there's not enough, to, to be honest. And I think that's part of why it's hard to find um, – You'll find plenty of secular ones, plenty there. I mean, they're huge. They're number one bestsellers. But for some reason, the Christian market is very small in terms of that genre. But I think you'll find more Christian romance, which is interesting to me. But um, one of the authors I wanted to mention was C.C. Warren's. Okay, um, I, 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 that's a world that I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I have to ask you. Christian romance, that's a thing? Yes, it is. Really? It's... it's Sometimes, yeah, sometimes they'll call it Christian romance. Um, you might see it factored under clean romance. Uh, clean romance doesn't mean it's Christian, but a lot of the times it is. Um, and there's also Jewish um, books as well that are, are, usually they're not romance, but there's a lot, um, you know, rom- romantic elements in some of those as well. But yes, it is a thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just <laughs> thinking, like, how does that happen? Because, like, when it, I yeah. think of romance novels, right, I, like, I, I have... I have like ants that used to read those when I was a kid and, and those books were so provocative on their covers, right? And then I remember at the grocery store, so I used to work at a grocery store when I was in high school and those books looked like they could have been pornographic. Like they were like these dime novels that you could buy at the grocery store and it's like, wow, what? Like, okay, well there's no pictures inside but I guess, you know, the words must be pretty, whatever, I don't know. but. I yeah that sounds I did not know that that was a Christian thing as well like they have like a a Christian romance novel yeah okay that yes, must, I, is, I would be it, interested it's to very see. much booming <laughs> really yeah okay yeah wow. it is booming a lot um and you're right like I I was never drawn to romance novels for that very reason that you mentioned because that's all I associated them with um and sometime, you know, relatively recently, it's really boomed. And the reason why I know this is because I also write as a Christian romance author under a pen name. 
Um, so, but before I did that, and I just started last year, <laughs> but before I did that, I came across a lot of fellow authors in the community, and so many of them were writing in this genre, and I thought, well, I never cared about romance novels. So, I, But when I started reading some of their books, I realized that's not all that romance is anymore in the industry. There's a lot of sweet romance or clean romance and nothing graphic, nothing provocative, like you said, nothing of that nature. I thought, wow. And they're really good stories, too. Well, I mean, I I watch like I. So one of the hidden secrets in our family is that uh, among my wife and I, I'm actually the one that goes for like the sappy chick flicks. So, um, so notebook, I've seen at least a hundred times. I watch it almost every time I want to, on a flight. There's something about notebook that I love to watch on a long international flight. And, uh, it's just, there's something reflective about it. I watch it like a million times. Um, and so I, I, would that be considered to be like a clean romance? Because there's not really too many graphic, you know, events. It, 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 whenever you watch, um, movies on a flight, you, you want to choose, ones that are not graphic, right? There's a lot of airlines that I fly on, like Emirates, um, Singapore Airlines. They will not show graphic stuff, but Cathay uh, Pacific, which is the one that I fly on the most, they will show a rated R show. They'll show everything, which sucks because you won't know that and you'll push play and you're sitting there watching it. And of course, right when the stewardess walks up to ask you what you would like to eat, it's like the most graphic scene ever playing on the video and you feel judged and you feel horrible and you feel shame. You're like trying to hit the pause button and, and, and things aren't pausing and you're like, crap, trust me, I wasn't watching it for this. And uh, you feel really bad. But um, I don't feel bad watching um, Notebook, obviously, especially on like uh, Singapore Airlines or or Emirates because you don't there's it's it's pretty clean. Is that what you're talking about, or is it something different than that? Even yeah, I would say that definitely fits in that category. I've only seen that movie once, so I'm not a fan like you okay. are. But okay, don't judge, <laughs> don't judge. <laughs> but definitely, it would fall probably between maybe lean more to the sweet romance. Sweet romance deals with more physical. If I remember correctly, there's a little bit more physical, nothing graphic. It's not like they're showing you, you know, a sex scene or anything, but there's more physical contact um, in a sweet romance. Clean romance tends to, there's that, the romance is definitely the driving theme throughout, but it's more of maybe, you know, kind of looking at each other at first and then holding hands maybe later. And then there's a, a sweet little kiss, that sort of thing is usually what you'll find in clean romance. So yeah, definitely, um, um, it surprised me too because yeah. even my husband, you know, my husband, his mom would read all that kind of romance stuff, and both of us did not grow up in Christian homes, and so um, he, you know, he had this idea about romance too. And then, like I said, it's just blew up in the last few years. Where you got all these amazing clean romance writers, and it's so incredible. And and they're not, um, in my opinion, you could take them as cheesy. Uh, but honestly, I don't feel like they're really cheesy. I think they're just, they really provide a lot of hope. You know, they get your spirits up. They're, a lot of them are uplifting. Some of them will deal with, like, um, maybe divorce and, and trying to overcome that. You know, they get more serious here and there. Um, but, yes, they're definitely worth, a lot of these authors are so worth reading. And, um, can I, can again, I ask there's some you, that are, yeah. Can I can mm-hmm. I ask you, just really quick, I didn't mean to jump in there, but I, I, I just want to ask you, what about writing 
romance novels or romance Christian novels, as it were, what what about that made you change your name and 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 uh, and write under a different pen name? Um, one of the things that I've learned is that when you write in two very different genres, it's okay if you want to keep your name there, but. Um, here's here's what I can remember. Dean Koontz, who's one of my favorite authors, when he first started out in the 70s, he wrote in a particular genre. And then at the high, the severe suggestion of his publisher said, you must write, you must publish these other genres that you're going to write, like sci-fi. That can't go with suspense. So you're going to write this under a pen name because your audience, your, your established audience that you have, they're not going to like that. Okay, They're yeah, not gonna that makes sense. Be drawn to that. it. That's yeah. one of the reasons. And I thought, well, who cares, right? If they they don't want to read it, they don't want to read it. But the problem is, is especially like like if you're on Amazon, the algorithms are also kicked around into a chaotic mess because they're going to put your romance with mystery suspense, and right. it's just not going to. People aren't going to be able right. to find you like that. So okay. that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Let me, I know that I've kept you on probably a little bit longer than what you've anticipated. I've just had a really great time kind of learning from you and, and because this is such a different world for me, I think it might be for some of the audience as well. And for those that are listening to the audience and are like, wow, this sounds like I would love to get shrouded memory. I would love to learn more about the, the these uh, novels that she has. What would you say if someone said, I've never heard of you, I wanna get one of your books, which one would you recommend that I start off with? I would recommend starting off with the book one of the Small Town Secret series. And that book is called? Intent in the Shadows. Okay, Intent in the Shadows. So that's the one that you would recommend. And can you tell us a little bit about that one? Because the one that I heard was also among the in the same series, which was Intent in a Coma. And so you have, like we said, these Small Town Secret series. And so Intent in the Shadows is the first one. Um, these are all available, I'm assuming, in Kindle edition for those that would, you know, that are the international audience that would like to download load these onto their Kindle? Yes. Is that correct? Okay, good. So Intent in the Shadows, uh, can you just give a, 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 like an introduction, like a teaser? Yes, so Intent in the Shadows deals with a junior in high school who is dealing with bullying and um, finding her way as the pariah of the school. She doesn't really fit in anywhere. And um, it covers her junior and senior year where she's dealing with these two issues. But along the way, somebody starts stalking her, leaving um, scary notes um, and scary messages, doing things, uh, following her. Um, and the whole, so the mystery suspense part is her trying to figure out who this is. Is it somebody, is it one of the bullies? that's been after her ever since she started high school? Or is it somebody that she's just met? Um, you know, who could it be? And so um, that is the nature of that book. Um, and so I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. Yeah, thank you so much. The book is called Intent in the Shadows. Uh, the author that we've been talking to now is Krista Wagner. You can look her up on Amazon.com. Is Amazon.com the best place to find you? 
It is. Okay, so Amazon.com or where you buy your books, try to look up Krista Wagner. She's the author of several different books. The one that we're recommending is Intent in the Shadows. That's the beginning of a series that will eventually lead you to Intent in a Coma, which is the one that gravitated me towards her books. Krista, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story and about the books that you've written. Thank you. Okay, God bless. And I want to thank you guys back to Jerusalem for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the U.S. God bless.